So here's what needs to happen next. The FBI and the Department of Justice must release the tapes that are in their possession that were done at their direction. Those tapes will show that I am innocent and that the whole concept of sex charges against me was really just a way to try to bleed my family out of money and probably smear my name because I am a well-known, outspoken conservative. And I guess that's out of style in a lot of parts of the country right now. That was Florida Congressman Matt Gates talking to Tucker Carlson the other night in what even the Fox News host later admitted was one of the more unusual interviews he has conducted. The news had just broken that Gates, one of Donald Trump's more vocal supporters, was under Justice Department investigation for alleged sex crimes, having sex with and financing the travels of a 17-year-old girl. But while denying any wrongdoing, Gates also sought to turn the table claiming that, in fact, he was the victim of a bizarre extortion plot orchestrated by a former federal prosecutor seeking to shake down the congressman's wealthy father for $25 million in exchange for making the potential charges against his son go away. It's a strange story, to say the least, that has suddenly become the talk of the political world in Washington and Florida, and we'll try to break it down with Devlin Barrett, the Justice Department reporter for The Washington Post. And we'll talk to Stephen Block, the former federal prosecutor who convicted another prominent congressman engulfed in a sex crimes and extortion scandal, former Speaker of the House Denny Hastert. That's ahead on this episode of Skullduggery. I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. And will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help me God. 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 I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. And I'm Victoria Bassetti, a fellow at the Brennan Center for Justice. You know, I think we were all uh, worried uh, for some time once uh, Joe Biden uh, became president that the news was going to get pretty boring and humdrum and Washington would return to, uh, you know, the kinds of things we used to talk about pre-Donald Trump. And then we get dropped in our lap this amazing, convoluted, bizarre story of Matt Gates. Hard to imagine uh, anything juicier and sexier, to say the least, uh, than this one. So, Mike, what what are what are we going to call this scandal? Is it Gates Gate or Water Water Gates? Uh, Gates Gate or just Gates? I suppose would work. Yeah. Well, Trump is. Uh, you know, down in Mar-a-Lago, mostly not making a lot of news, but fortunately he has left behind a lot of Trumpian characters uh, <laughs> to be surrogates uh, for him. The, the, the one one thing that I, um, you know, look, he has not been, these are just allegations, they're not even formal allegations yet. He hasn't been accused of a crime. He hasn't been indicted. But the optics don't look uh, particularly good right now. And I just want to mention in 2017, Congress passed something called the Combating Human Trafficking and Commercial Vehicles Act. The Senate had passed it unanimously, and then um, it was up for a vote in December of 2017 by the House. The vote was 418 to 1. 
Anyone care to guess who was the one <laughs> member of Congress who voted against the uh, Sex Trafficking Act? Um, I'm uh, thinking it's uh, the aforementioned Matt Gates. Yes. Yeah. And uh, by the way, all, all joking about what the name of the scandal is aside, the truth is that these are really dead serious um, accusations that are being brought against him. You know, and, and no one knows where they're going to go. Right. No one. No one knows, like you say, if it gets indicted or anything. But it's it's uh, it's. It's serious as absolutely, and and it should be because the underlying crimes are uh, in 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 these sex trafficking cases are are horrific um, and need to be taken very seriously. How ironic that um, you know after a year or two of us talking about QAnon, which whipped up a, a frenzy among. Trump supporters about sex trafficking and uh, all sorts of dastardly related crimes by Democrats, the first guy to get pinged in the wake of that, or at least potentially pinged, coming under Justice Department investigation, is a, a Trump stalwart like uh, Matt Gates. And the only other thing I will mention is Gates seems to have a relationship, friendship with this guy, Joel Greenberg, the Seminole County tax collector, who's been indicted on sex crimes by the Justice Department. I think there was just a uh, a a superseding indictment just this week, ramping up the charges against him. And uh, I can't help but think of that photograph that's been out there on social media of Gates and Greenberg and Roger Stone, the convicted felon who got the pardon from Donald Trump, all together kind of symbolizing Trump world all in one place. Um But we don't want to tar anybody unfairly, which is why we have Devlin Barrett to uh, tell us exactly how this investigation came about, what we know and what we don't know, and um, sort through what the potential exposure is for uh, Gates and where this could go. So before we before you say, let's get right to it. Yeah, we've got a new email address, Uh which we want to give to our uh, listeners uh, so that they can send us their thoughts and comments um, and tips and tips and critiques and criticisms. Um, So uh, you can uh, email us at skullduggerypod at yahoo.com. Fire away. And also before we go, I have, Mike, I have a question for you in the, in the panoply and history of bizarre and weird Washington sex scandals, where does this rank? Well, a good question, but I think, being the judicious person that I am, let's wait and see what the charges are and uh, and where they go. Because, um, so boring. Because we want to be very uh, fair to everybody, uh, even while we enjoy uh, talking about it and exploring um, all the details. I think we should do a buried treasure that does exactly what Victoria suggests. We should just rank scandals through the ages. We can just rank them. (laughs) Okay. All right. Let's get to it. Okay, we now have with us Devlin Barrett, a Justice Department reporter for the Washington Post, coming to us directly from the Justice Department. Devlin, welcome back to Skullduggery. 
Hey, thanks for having me. So uh, what a wild story, this Matt Gates saga. It is, uh, on the one hand, um, so delicious in its details. On the other hand, it's pretty convoluted. So we'd like you to just sort of walk us through what we know about how the investigation of Matt Gates began and where it stands. Right. So you have to go back to roughly middle of last year, as best we can tell, with a local Florida investigation. The scene is Florida, of course. And you start with an investigation into the Seminole County tax collector, a guy named Joel Greenberg, who is basically under investigation and is currently awaiting trial on a whole raft of charges, mostly around fraud, but there's also a sex trafficking charge involving a minor girl. At the time, they had an alleged relationship. And that person, Joel Greenberg, is a friend slash associate of Congressman Gates. And at some point in this investigation into not just Joel Greenberg's finances, but also his interactions with this minor, the FBI develops evidence that the congressman, Matt Gates, may have also had some sort of sexual relationship uh, crossing state lines with a minor. And so that spawns a sort of follow-on investigation uh, that is that is distinct from from the Greenberg one. It's still ongoing. And that's got to raise like major alarm bells at the Department of Justice uh, at this point. I mean, right. Gates is a conspicuous, prominent defender of uh, Donald Trump on Fox News almost every night out there defending the president at every step of the way. And this is still the. Trump, Bill Barr, Justice Department, when this comes to the attention of Maine justice, right? right? And it goes straight to the AG, Barr. Right. And so our understanding is that it does go up the chain and that senior DOJ leadership is told about this more or less as in real time as the investigation gets underway. And so obviously that raises some interesting questions about how far along are the investigators on this case? It's been it's been months. We know that much, and and so that investigation is rolling, and it seems pretty clear that at some point earlier this year, there is a fair bit of gossip in Florida political circles about that investigation. People start getting wind, they believe, of of that investigation in Florida in the last couple months. Do we know active grand jury subpoenas, witnesses brought before the grand jury? So we know at a minimum there is a grand jury in Greenberg because that that grand jury has issued, uh, I believe, a third superseder indictment just just this week. So we know there is at least that much of a grand jury. It's a little less clear as to whether there is a separate body that's taken evidence as far as the Gates matter goes or not. That part's a little tougher of a nut to crack. I'll be honest, I think my best understanding of it is that one way or another, some of this evidence has 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 found its way before a grand jury. But how close they are to resolving that, I don't know. So, Devlin, bring us forward uh, to when this investigation becomes public, because that's when it takes a really bizarre turn. Right. Around mid-March, suddenly things take a very different and weird direction. And that is when uh, Matt Gates's father, who is a prominent former Florida politician in his own right, a guy named Don Gates, gets a, a text and then a letter 
And it's a very strange kind of outreach, which basically says, we're aware of this investigation involving your son, possibly involved, sexually involved with a minor. And the way it would be a great way to save him from any legal trouble if you were to help fund our effort to find and return home safely uh, a guy named Bob Levinson, who is a former FBI agent who disappeared on a fairly unauthorized, uh, unusual uh, trip with quasi-CIA blessing uh, to an island off the coast of Iran uh, more than a decade ago. Now, this was a neck stretch, like how we get from yes. Matt Gates to Bob Levinson. It was a pretty prominent case. There was a lot written about uh, Levinson's disappearance. The FBI and the U.S. intelligence community was looking for him for years and concluded just last year, I think, that he was likely dead right. inside Iran. He is believed to be dead after having been a hostage of some kind in or around Iran for years. Levinson is is just its own saga. And, and you know, we could spend hours just dissecting yeah, different parts of Levinson. About yes, it, a about very good one. Well, we'll, so we'll get back into Levinson in a second. But who sends this text and letter to Don Gates, to Matt Gates's father? So there's we're told there's two individuals, uh, one named Bob Kent, who is sort of known in, in, in the world of Levinson aficionados, I guess I would say. Kent is known as a as a former military guy who has long argued that Levinson is still alive and can be saved. Uh, and there's another guy named Stephen Alford, who is sort of a character unto himself in the sense that he has a pretty significant criminal conviction record. So these two guys, we're told, are the ones who make this overture to, to Matt Gates's father. And saying what? What do they say? It's a little, I mean, you guys know how how law enforcement actually works. So just forgive me that this is going to sound a little crazy. What they basically <laughs> say is- crazy about any right. of this. Go what they say go. is your son has this big legal problem that we know about. And, and remember, at the time they write this letter in mid-March, this is not public knowledge. It may be water cooler gossip in Florida, but it is not public knowledge. And so they say, we know about this investigation into your son. If you were to save, help us save Bob Levinson, that could make your son's legal problems go away. Now, I don't think that is a factually accurate description of how the world works, but that is what was presented to Matt Gates's father. And that sets off a, a whole other series of events in which Matt Gates's father has, has conversations which are apparently recorded with a lawyer who represents the Levinson family on this issue. And what you have from those conversations are two wildly different versions of what actually took place in those conversations. And one of the things I think it will, it will take some time to sort out is which versions of those conversations are accurate, because Gates's claim is that it was basically a shakedown, an extortion attempt, give us millions of dollars, and you know we will make the somehow or other make the sex investigation go away. Uh, the lawyer in question says that's absolutely not what we talked about. I was sympathetic to the guy's situation. He seemed to be trying to help his son in some way. But I told him, you know, that person doesn't necessarily have anything of value to find Bob Levinson. Is that, and that's where all of a sudden the Times breaks the story that there is this investigation and confronted with news of this, you know, incredibly politically damaging and maybe, you know, legally damaging information. 
uh, Matt Gates publicly says that, well, I'm just being extorted. This is all, you know, sort of a, a hit job on me uh, to try to get money out of my out of my wealthy father. So it's a pretty Baroque set of facts and, and pretty Baroque story. Uh, bring us back to Matt Gates. What kind of legal peril is he actually in right now? And how has the D.C. political establishment, he's not just in legal peril, he's also in political peril. What's happening right now with that? So the, the way to think of it legally is if there is evidence to show that he paid for a woman under eight, a girl under 18 years of age to travel to cross state lines. So if you think about it in terms of hotel rooms, airfare, that kind of thing, for the purpose of, of having sexual contact with that, with that person, that violates federal law. And so if you can show that, you know, he's in a lot of trouble because those statutes come with some pretty potentially significant jail time. Now, you have to like have respect for the things you don't yet know. And so we don't know what actual evidence, what the what the meat and potatoes of the evidence is that the FBI has to date on this. And it'll be important to look at that because one of the things I think about as you as you go through cases like this is if if those of you remember the the investigation into Senator Bob Menendez, it started with a very similar accusation and it ended up in a very different place. He was still charged. He ended up beating that case. But sometimes these cases can go in some weird directions along the way and not remotely end up where they started. That's my only point there. But let's 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 try to untangle this a little bit because it is uh, Baroque and convoluted. Um, I want to I want you to talk about the connection between the the uh, Matt Gates's claim that he and his family were being extorted and the underlying investigation into um, Matt uh, Gates um, for uh, sex trafficking, essentially, right. um, because. You know, clearly the extortion claim is a way for Matt Gates to defend himself, you know, and, and deny that that anything right. happened at all. But he may also be conflating things here. So explain explain the relationship between those two things. And also, how would these people, the people involved, be in a position uh, to actually make this case go away? Is it a scam or is it extortion? Oh, that's a great question. I'll be I'll be honest. I think you could look at the, that letter, and and uh, I think DC Examiner was the first to to post a copy of the mm-hmm. letter. Mm-hmm. I think you could look at that letter and, and and argue, well, I'm not sure if it's extortion, but it might be fraud. You know, right. there there's a couple different legal issues that are raised by that letter, and obviously, no one's been charged with extortion or fraud, so it may ultimately just be neither. But I think there is there's an interesting question as to Looking at that letter in the darkest possible light, I think it's natural for agents and prosecutors to say, are we looking at some combination of fraud and extortion, uh, neither or both? Uh, I, I think that's an open question. But but the main point is, whatever that extortion or quasi-extortion or non-extortion piece is, that is, as best we can tell, a very distinct and separate investigation from the underlying issue, which had been going on for months at that point within the FBI, as to whether or not Matt Gates violated sex trafficking laws. Those are two very different things. So there are two so there are two FBI Justice Department investigations well, going on. I don't mean, I don't mean to make it even more baroque, but there's technically three because you have remember we started with Joel Greenberg. You have right. the Greenberg case and then you have the Matt Gates sex trafficking case 
And then finally, you have the the very recent accusation of extortion and whether that and whether that was a shakedown. So there's technically three. But also, Devlin, um, Ga- uh, Matt Gates has named one other person who he has suggested is responsible for this extortion. And we haven't talked about him yet. His name is uh, David McGee, and he is a former Justice Department official, former going way back, I think, yes. 25 years, um, but is also the, uh, the the lawyer for the uh, for the Levinson family. So tell us about uh, David McGee's role in this story. Right. So McGee is the lawyer for the Levinsons that Don. So after Gates's father gets this overture, let's call it, for lack of a better word, Gates has conversations with the lawyer, Mr. McGee, who represents the Levinson family. To McGee's telling, uh, that is essentially a fairly innocuous conversation in which McGee tries to set the dad straight on, you know, this wouldn't, even if this is true, this isn't really going to solve the problem of, you know, an alleged grand jury investigation into your son's possible violation of sex laws. So I think I think in that sense, you know, look, the thing to remember is Matt Gates is a flamboyant politician, has has been a sort of over the top, you know, hyper accusatory, hyper confrontational human being in Congress as a general rule. And so when this allegation surfaces, uh, what happens pretty quickly is he goes on the attack, which is not that surprising for him, right? And so he names McGee as, as this, you know, horrible villain in, in his version of events. And I think, look, McGee worked decades ago in the local prosecutor, local federal prosecutor's office. That's that's what the former Justice Department official thing means. So he's not like a main justice official. He's he's a local former I think first assistant, which is which is not nothing. That's that's an important job in 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 the universe of U.S. attorney's offices. But it's not like he was running the department or anything. Two, he is primarily in this series of crazy events. He is primarily functioning as a lawyer for the Levinson family. His past DOJ resume, I don't have any reason to believe at this point, actually means that much to what actually happened. I think Gates, frankly, views it as important because it fits what he views. You know, he's. Gates didn't think much of the DOJ and the FBI before any of this. And so I think to Gates, it matters to him personally that this is a former DOJ prosecutor. I don't know that it should matter that much to the rest of the world because his primary issue here seems to be the fact that he's the Levinson family lawyer. So a couple of things here that leap out. Um, you know, my understanding is in that letter that uh, uh, this guy Kent and the, his uh, and his associate wrote to Don Gates, they conjured up this scenario by which uh, they could get Levinson out of Iran. Kent claims he's a former Air Force intelligence guy, claims he has a network of, of, of sources inside Iran. There's a general who uh, has control of Levinson and could would release him if he gets paid $25 million. And the idea was Gates would fly over to Iran and be there when uh, Levinson is turned over, be on the plane and uh, introduce him to the world when he's uh, when he when he gets out, um, all of which is quite fanciful. The idea that any of these characters could be in a position to get him a pardon and make his or make his legal troubles go away in the Biden Merrick Garland Justice Department seems on its face preposterous, right? 
It, it does. And, you know, but you know what it also speaks to, frankly, it speaks to a bunch of people who have internalized what, for lack of a better term, you might call the Trump model. You know, that scenario, oh, you're going to free this guy. Oh, it's going to be a dramatic homecoming. Oh, you might get a pardon. If you had said that during the Trump administration, I think you couldn't automatically dismiss that as a possibility. Right. I think I think under Trump, you'd say, well, I mean, it sounds a little nuts, but maybe. <laughs> well, yeah, Trump, Trump did love hostage deals. You know? Right. And he loved he loved those the, the drama, the, the spectacle. That. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's not exactly Merrick Garland's way of <laughs> yeah. doing business, I think. <laughs> I think it's fair to say. But, you know, another thing that leaps out to me is, uh, you know, Matt Gates was one of the many Republicans uh, on the Hill who uh, excoriated uh, the Justice Department, uh, the Obama Justice Department and the FBI for launching the whole Russia investigation on flimsy evidence. And they had an ally in Bill Barr who said, you know, right. how terrible it was that the FBI was investigating a political campaign without an adequate predicate. This is the same Bill Barr who approved the investigation of Matt Gates. So one can presume he must have thought there was pretty credible evidence to base a federal investigation on and sign off on it. Right. And and I think you have to sort of take a step back and 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 work through the sequence as they happened as opposed to how we learn about them. Like there's always a danger of telescoping, compressing a bunch of facts in, into each other. So it's all like just one big giant picture. We don't know precisely what Barr was told at the outset, right? And, and certainly the fights around public integrity, the public integrity section of the Justice Department, those are tough, often suspicion-endearing and fraught conversations within the DOJ. But clearly they thought they had enough to work with for months on this case. Like they have their hooks into something. Now, does that produce a charge? Who knows? We're still waiting to get a, a meaningful answer on that. Well, one thing about Barr that I saw in one, in one of the stories, maybe it was in the Washington Post, but somewhere was that uh, when he was briefed on this case, he made it clear that he didn't want to be in any situation where he was brought into contact uh, with Matt Gates uh, because it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't look very good. Um, I want to get back to uh, Victoria's question in terms of the political backlash for a second, because one of the things that's uh, notable, I think, is that Matt Gates, who basically spent all of it, has spent all of his time in Congress uh, not passing legis- legislation, but uh, sucking up to, to Donald Trump and defending him um, at every possible turn, um, even, I think, suggested maybe he would quit Congress to defend him in his impeachment <laughs> trial. Uh I'm not hearing anyone, either Donald Trump or his family or other Trump colleagues coming out and um, defending Matt Gates right now. He seems fairly isolated. Yeah. And that's an interesting quirk of his position within the Republican, I guess you have to call it establishment now, right? Because it's it's the president and his supporters and the the rest of the of the congressional Republicans. As a practical matter, Gates did not have a great relationship with within his own party, within sort of the the leadership of of the House Republicans. Uh, And while he was a prominent, prominent public defender of the president, it's not clear to me that the president actually 
feels much towards him at all. I think you can say, you know, for all of the public association of those two humans, there's not a lot of Republicans coming out to defend him or Jim take Jordan up his is. cause. Jim Jordan is, but you know, that's one guy. But <laughs> yeah. that's one guy. And 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 look, I, I the justice system is built on the presumption of innocence. I think that's probably a good thing. But I also think there's a there's an interesting dynamic in which Matt Gates was a guy who was not as wired in or plugged in to the power structure of the Republican Party as his frequent TV appearances might lead one to believe. His his main notion of being a congressman was just be on TV. That's fine. But when it comes down to it, that's not actually much of the job of being a member of Congress. One of the kind of emerging rules of surviving a scandal like this is don't resign. Menendez didn't resign. Cuomo didn't resign. And yet earlier this week, Gates was before the news broke. Gates was hinting that he was about to resign and go join Newsmax. So what does that tell us about what's what's uh, what Gates thinks he's facing right now? Is it is it a sign that he's worried or is it just was it just something else? So I think there's a couple things going on there. I think they're clearly worried if if they're going to the FBI over an extortion with extortion allegations, they're obviously very concerned about what's happening. But separate and apart from that, Gates has said a number of times, I would say in the last year, that, well, maybe I'll just leave Congress. Like that's been a thing with him. And I think while it may be it may be both tempting and accurate that he's thinking more that way because this case is out there. I also think he is a curious figure inside Congress in that he doesn't really care about the day job. He cares about the hits at night and and the sort of the TV part of the job. And so I, I think he was I think most people who work in Congress didn't expect him to stick around much anyway. Devlin, uh, as long as you're coming uh, to us from the Justice Department, I've got two quick questions for you on to other matters that we're all uh, waiting to see. Uh, The Hunter Biden investigation by the U.S. attorney in Delaware and the John Durham investigations as special counsel appointed by Bill Barr to the origins of the Russia investigation. What are you hearing, if anything, on those two fronts? Crickets, absolute crickets. Um, you know, we ask that question in one form or another almost every day on this beat, and we are still being told virtually nothing, either, you know, front door, side door, garage door, you name it. People are very tight-lipped still. I, look, I think I think the Biden case has been puttering along and not seeming to resolve itself for a long time, even before the election. I think with I think with Durham, it's a great question, and I I just don't know the answer. I think the fact that the president, uh, former President Trump, is you know putting out messages demanding to know if Durham is even still alive, speaks to the sort of like insanely high expectations that he and his supporters built up for that effort. I do believe that when it comes to the kind of expectations that that Republicans like Jim Jordan and Matt Gates and and the and President Trump have for that investigation, I do think they are going to be ultimately quite disappointed in the outcome. I just don't think that this ground has been tilled so many times at this point. I just don't have any reason to believe that it's produced some incredible expose of criminality, which is different from ethics. I mean, and 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 good judgment. Those are I think we've talked about this before. Yeah, that's why Those there are, was an IG investigation. Right. 
those are two separate issues. But this notion that there's some QAnon-like conspiracy involving 900 people in the government who, you know, never make a mistake. I just I Obama already dispelled that when he said it's not about anything that Obama or Biden or anybody in the White House uh, during the Obama years did. It's about potential wrongdoing of some kind within the FBI. Uh, Victoria has one last question for you. One last question. Uh, what are, what are we calling this? Is it Gates Gate water <laughs> wa- water Gates or Flor- Florida Man scam? Yeah, I mean, I you know Gates Gate is is pretty good, I think. Or you could just call it Gates. I mean, technically, if it already has a gate <laughs> yeah. in it, you don't need to go beyond that. <laughs> That's right. All right, got it. All right, right. Devlin, thanks. thanks a lot, and uh, keep digging. Great talking to you guys. All right, see you, Devlin. Thanks. All right, we now have with us to help us make sense of the Matt Gates story, Stephen Block, a former federal prosecutor with the U.S. Attorney's Office in Chicago, specializing in public corruption cases. Um, Stephen, welcome to Skullduggery. Thanks for having me. There's a lot to unpack here uh, based on what has been reported over the last few days. But just let's start out with the core allegations that the FBI and Justice Department are reported to be investigating involving Matt Gates, which is a sex crime having sex with a 17-year-old girl as well as funding her travel. Um what is the federal crime or crimes here, and how serious can that be? Well, it, it definitely implicates um, federal crimes. The federal government takes these sort of allegations extremely seriously. Um, it is certainly illegal to transport a minor across state lines for the purposes of having sex with her. Um, it is illegal to fund transportation like that. Um, and a number of federal agencies make this their priority. It is not just the FBI, it's Homeland Security, the Postal Inspection Service. When I was in the office in Chicago, we prosecuted a number of these cases. So it it doesn't come as a surprise to me that if there is information that a minor is being transported across state lines, that DOJ would look at it no matter who the alleged perpetrator is. One quick follow-up on this. Uh, you know, Gates obviously has denied uh, the charges here. If he comes back and says, I didn't know that this girl was 17 years old, does that get him off the hook? It, it could. It could. There, there is a, uh, a defense that's actually articulated in the statute that can be a defense if the defendant can show, and the burden shifts to the defendant. So the defendant would have to show by clear and convincing evidence that he believed that the individual was 18 or older. So it, it certainly could, um, but you know that's that's not really a position that really anyone wants to be in to have to essentially prove part of their own defense. So presumably, the feds would need the testimony of this girl, woman, about her relationship with Gates. Um, Based on how far this has apparently gotten and, you know, what's been reported is went all the way up to the attorney general of the United States, then Bill Barr, and he signed off on it or at least didn't do anything to stop it. For it to have gotten that far, wouldn't they have needed 
to have already talked to the 17-year-old in question? I would expect that 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 is the case. Um, These cases are almost impossible to make without the cooperation of the victim for the reasons for the reasons you just state. And I'll tell you, that is part of the reason why these cases can be very difficult to investigate and prosecute. The victims in cases like this, and again, we don't know what happened here and he is presumed innocent, but based on what we're hearing in cases like this, you know, defendants are not preying on the national merit scholar from a stable home. That's just not how these cases tend to operate. They tend to involve victims who almost certainly have some troubles, um, have some issues in their past, um, have some, uh, could be even mental health issues. Um, So it makes it very difficult for investigators and prosecutors because you're dealing with victims who um, are, one, not always the most cooperative, and two, uh, might not be very trusted in law enforcement. What's the sentencing guidelines for a crime of this nature? So it, it, it depends, of course, on what the exact statute um, that he, you know, if he's, if he's convicted, what statute they charge him with, because um, there's a couple of them. Uh, if it is more along a trafficking offense, um, and we can talk a little bit more about what, what that involves, that's probably the most serious. It could be um, a 15-year mandatory minimum, which is a huge sentence. If it is not a trafficking offense, in other words, there's no element of sort of force or coercion, but it is more whether Gates traveled for the purpose of having uh, sexual contact with someone he knew was underage, then he's looking at a potential maximum sentence of around 30 years, but there's no mandatory minimum. So the range there, it will be up to the judge, there are guidelines, but certainly these are crimes that are taken extremely seriously and no one is getting a slap on the wrist if they're traveling in interstate commerce to have sex with a minor. Uh, Stephen, um, as Mike uh, mentioned before, you have a lot of experience um, prosecuting these uh, sex crimes cases. And in fact, one of the most famous cases that you prosecuted involved uh, Dennis Hastert, the former Speaker of the House, congressman from from Illinois. That case um, involved uh, a um, claim by Hastert uh, that he was being extorted. And of course, the Gates case, um, similarly, uh, the Matt Gates, who's under investigation, uh, is claiming that he's been extorted, his family's been extorted uh, to the tune of, I think, $25 million. So uh, based on your experience um, and uh, and then now what you know from what's been reported in the Matt Gates case as a prosecutor, uh, what are you thinking about uh, those extortion claims? I mean, well, look, I mean, what's being reported um, is extremely odd. Uh, there's really no other way to describe it than that. Um, what is particularly odd about it to me is the statements by Representative Gates being so forward in the media, describing the extortion plot, describing how um, his father uh, was wearing a wire for the FBI. I mean, if any of that is true, it, certainly the Bureau cannot be happy. They can't be happy about investigating an ongoing extortion plot uh, while having their covert methods outed in the media. Um, it absolutely would stall that investigation and effectively end it. So it is extremely curious. Obviously, we don't know um, what actually has happened here. Uh, it'll, it'll, we won't know that until it uh, comes out in a court of law. But I, I agree with you, Dan. I mean, the, the parallels to the Haster case struck me immediately as well, that you have a an individual, a public individual, um, who claims they're extorted and then it turns out there's a sex, uh, you know, a, a sexual uh, malfeasance uh, element to it. Um, it. It is it's a little deja vu for me. 
I, I wanted to actually ask you about uh, in the in the Hastert case. I think what was established um, was that Hastert was uh, paying a significant amount of money to one of the, um, I think by that time he was an adult, but one of the kids who he had been abusing. And in fact, I think that's how uh, investigators really stumbled onto this because he was withdrawing large sums of, of, of cash and then he and then he realized that that was a problem. So he started uh, withdrawing uh, sums under $10,000 so that he wouldn't be detected. Um, and one thing led to the next. But as, as, a, as a prosecutor, isn't there sometimes a, a fine line between um, you know, someone who is paying hush money and someone who is uh, claiming to be extorted? I mean, how do you define the differences between th- those two things? It, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great question because, you know, we struggled very much with that in the Haster case. And, and as you said, um, when we first approached the former speaker after we saw the withdrawals that you, that you mentioned, uh, he told us that he was being extorted and when we asked him, I asked him, did you ever have any inappropriate sexual contact with this person? The answer was an emphatic no. So in that, at that time, if you have an individual demanding money for something that didn't happen and threatening to go to the press and ruin your career if you don't pay it, that's extortion. Where it changes is when it's not an unlawful or a, 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 a wrongful asking. For example, individuals settle claims all the time to avoid litigation or settle litigation. So if what happened, which I think is what did happen in that case, you had a victim going to the former speaker, his former wrestling coach, and saying, this happened to me. You know it happened to me. I've suffered harm as a result. I don't want to go to the press. I don't want to uh, ruin my family's life, but I want to be compensated. That's not extortion. And that's what happened in the Haster case. But, you know, it, it, it took us a while to get there because uh, you really have to gather all the evidence and assess some credibility before you can determine that. And it's not extortion because something did, in fact, happen to him. It was a legitimate claim that he is making. That's right. It was a legitimate claim. Um, I suppose you could, it could still be extortion, even if it was a legitimate claim. I think it depends a little bit about what the uh, individual asking for the money is sort of threatening to do. But in, in our situation, the Haster case ended up being an easier call because we were uh, convinced ultimately through our investigation that Speaker Haster had abused this kid and others. So once we were able to satisfy ourselves that that happened through our investigation, it, it really took the element of, of extortion off the table for us. But of course, in the Gates case, um, if and of course, this is these are unproven allegations, uh, not even hasn't even been an indictment. But if it turns out that Gates did uh, commit these crimes, um, the extortion piece of it, 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 it's not parallel because you have a third party coming in, right? Absolutely. I mean, look, you know, and it is important to say we don't we don't know what happened here, if anything. But let's assuming for our discussion that there was some illegal contact that the congressman had with a minor um, for a third party who maybe would have learned about it in some way to come in and say, well, if you maybe pay me twenty five million dollars, we'll make it go away. Um, Yes, that could still absolutely um, the extortion. So what could happen here is the feds could ultimately investigate and prosecute two separate but related crimes, a sex trafficking or sexual um, uh, travel related crime and an extortion crime. So we know at 
or we think we know that at this stage of the game, DOJ lawyers have been in touch with Gates's lawyers and have indicated that he's, uh, at least according to Gates, a subject, not a target of an investigation. At, at what point during an investigation would DOJ be in touch with the subject's lawyers? I, what does that tell us about how far along investigators are with this? So a subject and target, those are two words that have actually very precise meetings um, in the uh, the. the prosecutors, the, the justice manual used to be called the U.S. Attorney's Manual. Um, a subject is someone whose conduct falls within the scope of the investigation. It's a very broad term, and a lot of people um, could be subjects. A target is much more specific. That means someone that uh, on the day the prosecutor conveys the information, um, they believe is going to be charged. That's the simplest way of saying it. Um, Subjects can become targets and targets can become subjects. Um, here it sounds like he's a subject. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily surprise me they would have been in touch with him if their investigation is overt. If they were trying to gather covert evidence, um, they would, of course, not want to tip off the subject. But if, if it's not the case, then at some point they might reach out and ask for you know to sit down for an interview or to gather some additional documentation. But Stephen, isn't it the case that generally speaking, someone who is under investigation for allegedly committing crimes is is a subject until they become the target? And that um, for Gates to say, well, I'm not a target of this investigation, I'm just a subject, it's a bit of a smokescreen, right? The idea is, well, I'm just like a witness in this thing. You know, uh, I'm, I fall within the scope of the investigation, to use your language, but I'm not under investigation. Yeah, I mean, Dan, I, I, look, I, I would not take a lot of comfort myself if I learned I was only only a subject of a sex trafficking investigation. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's, inc it's incredibly serious. Um, the fact that he's not a target now does not mean he's not going to be one tomorrow. Um, so I agree. I, I think that, um, you know, and this goes to the issue of, People, public people like congressmen who find themselves in these situations that they they can't help themselves but to make public statements in a way that you know I certainly would advise any client of mine is not a good idea. But you know, as, as you know as well as I, you don't tell your clients to go on to Fox News. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, no good can come of that. But it's in their DNA, and look, it's in the DNA of politicians to want to get their stories out and talk. The point where DOJ and the subjects, lawyers are talking, how far along does that mean we are? I mean, that's a judgment call on the part of the prosecutors. It's a little hard to say. I would say that in a case like this, it would be unusual for that contact to come extremely early. It doesn't make a lot of sense that there would be sort of a whiff of an allegation and the agents are immediately contacting the the potential defendant or the subject. That, that's not how it works. I, I'm saying you said something pretty interesting before that if they still had investigative, you know, covert investigative steps to take, they wouldn't be confirming that Gates was in any way involved in this investigation, a subject or a target. They just wouldn't be talking about it to his lawyer, right? So the fact that they did, does that suggest to you that we are pretty far along and they've got much of what they need to make a decision about whether they're going to bring charges or not. Uh, it, it definitely means they're further along, but I'll tell you, there's another wrinkle to that too. And that is um, what happened first. Did they reach out to Gates's lawyers first because they wanted to engage in a dialogue or did the investigators learn that there had been a leak um, and their investigation was about to become public. And at that point they said, well, 
we're already going to be outed here, so we may as well reach out to the defendant. Because I'll tell you, in the Hastert case, we had been in touch with the defense attorneys um, because of the earlier claims it was extortion. So initially, he wasn't a uh, you know target. He was we thought Hastert was a victim, um, but that was totally. We were still very covert. Um, what happened at some point was is we had a leak in our investigation, um, at which point it became public. So. It, 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 it sort of depends. In that situation, we had talked to the um, defense lawyers first, but then it was outed, and then it was kind of off to the races at that point. So here, we don't know what happened, but it is very possible that there was a leak within DOJ, and the information is out there, and now the prosecutors say, well, we you know, we're, we have no choice now. We might as well engage with you. How, how did the leak in your case come about, and did you ever you know, track down what happened? Well, I'll tell you, I, I, what happened as far as we know, is this. We had been looking at that case for several years uh, from all sorts of different angles. Um, and we had not a hint of a leak. We had, we had nothing. Within DOJ, there is something called a, like a special activity report where U.S. attorneys' offices at some point are supposed to report up to the department um, about potential high-profile cases and whatnot. Um, I will just say that the day, the day, that we finally um, sent that report from Chicago to Washington, we had a leak. Um, so I don't know who it was. I'll never know that information. Um, but I can, I guess, proudly say it didn't come from Chicago. <laughs> well, that's pretty interesting because I guess one, I mean, the Gates people will probably, his lawyer will probably argue that there's been a leak here. Absolutely. And, I, and, that, and that would not surprise me. And uh, attorneys in cases like this, should there be charges, they they can certainly try to use that information to say that there's been uh, a tainted jury pool or things are unfair, you can't get a fair trial now. Those arguments tend not to be successful, um, but it does certainly add a, a little complexity, I think, to the, to the prosecutors should they bring this case. You know, you, you mentioned the special activity reports, uh, which is, you know, the kind of thing that I imagine would get very read very closely when they arrive in the inboxes of uh, senior Justice Department officials, and especially when, um, you know, the word sex crimes are attached to it. You said, you mentioned in Hastert's case, you were investigating it for several years. It started out, as I understand it, as a financial, potential financial crimes. He was withdrawing large sums of cash from a bank, but... Um, when you discovered and when folks discovered that this was actually about sex crimes underneath, I mean, give us a sense of what the reaction was, what your reaction was to that. You're dealing with a former Speaker of the House. You know, it, it was it was shocking and it was disturbing and it was surprising. I'll tell you, it, it started as a financial case um, and we had a number of different theories, a number of them that we that we tracked down to see why, why, why would the former Speaker of the House be withdrawing uh, money in structured amounts that seemed designed to evade reporting requirements? Why would he be doing that? And when we, the agents first approached him, um, finally, some of the concern was whether he was in trouble in some way. You know, what was he being, was he being extorted? Was there a foreign actor involved who perhaps was trying to get some, um, you know, classified information that he still had from his days in government. So we, you know, we we thought of everything. Um, when it eventually came out that it was, uh, you know, a, a sex crime, it was 
it was shocking and it was and it was disturbing. Um, and I'll tell you, it was not high on the list of potential theories that we were that we were looking at initially. I can imagine. And, um, you know, presumably um, when that special activity report went up to uh, Maine Justice uh, late last year about Matt Gates, uh, it probably got the same kind of attention <laughs> that uh, that yours did. You, you would have to imagine it did. And you, we've seen the reporting about, you know, that Bill Barr heard about this and that he took some steps to not put himself um, in, a, in social settings or meetings with with Representative Gates, which which makes perfect sense, uh, why he wouldn't want to necessarily be in the room with a um, an active uh, you know subject of investigation. But I, I would imagine that it raised a lot of eyebrows. Um, and here we are. I'm curious whether or not the fact that Gates, it, it, um, if, if the allegations do prove to be true, is a sitting member of Congress when this possibly occurred, adds an additional element to. The nature of the crime. I, I don't think there's a speech and debate clause issue in a sex crimes case. But, but, right? he, but he also has, you know, potentially more, you know, kind of power over th- or authority over a potential victim than uh, than a, a civilian, let's say, might have. Is there, is there anything about the fact that a congressperson was involved that makes the case different? I think what makes it different, I mean, it's different in a lot of ways, but from sort of the legal perspective, what it strikes me as being different is it just makes the crime, if it, if it occurred, all that more aggravating. I um, mean, you might imagine, you know, imagine a sentencing hearing for an individual who engaged in this conduct, who is just, you know, some random person off the street, maybe down their luck, maybe, you know, not very sophisticated. It's a horrible enough crime as it is. Now trans, transpose that with a sitting congressman, wealthy, power, should know better, writes the laws. I mean, all of that. If I was a prosecutor on that case and we got to sentencing, you are going to have a very easy time explaining why this was absolutely deplorable conduct if it happened. Uh, I just have one more question about uh, sentencing in, in, a, in a case like this. Uh, does the law make any distinction between uh, what Hastert was accused of, you know, in, in terms of punishment, uh, where he was abusing minors uh, versus um, uh, the trafficking kind of case where you're taking someone against uh, uh, across state lines um, for the purposes of sex. In other words, is one is is one more likely to get a tougher sentence than the other? So in the Hastert case, we did not have any um, uh sexual crime laws available to us. The federal statutes have long since passed and the state statutes had long since passed. Um, so here um, it is a little bit of a different situation. I will say though that the the penalties under the federal system for these crimes are extremely severe and some of some of them do have these mandatory minimums which give the judge really no discretion um, in terms of imposing a sentence. So um, in Illinois at the time we didn't have laws that were quite as strong as that. We have some stronger laws now. But if someone is convicted of these crimes, they're going to be facing a long time in jail. So uh, just to, to, to wrap up here, um, I think you made a really important point uh, before uh, that Gates, by talking about the FBI wiring his father for the purpose of an ex- undercover extortion uh, investigation, has pretty much blown that up, right? I mean, the, the feds can't do anything more now that they've been exposed by the 
supposed victim of the extortion plot, right? Um, so it doesn't sound like it was a really smart move on Gates's part to do that, given the publicity that uh, that this has gotten at this point. Would you expect that we're going to see a resolution fairly soon, either charges or not? You know, it's it's really hard to say since we don't know the the, the exact status of of what, either an extortion investigation or the sex crimes investigation. We really just don't know. Um, that being said, I mean, to go to your first point, um, you're right. I mean, if there was an active covert extortion investigation, that's over. Uh, thanks to Matt Gates. <laughs> thanks to Matt Gates. If, if that was yeah. true, which is not to say that there's not other investigation that can be done, um, gathering of various records and interviews, a more kind of historical type investigation that certainly can continue. But if what the agents were in fact trying to do was um, capture a uh, someone on tape uh, in an extortion plot, uh, those opportunities are now gone. Right. Well, um, uh, presumably, uh, Matt Gates did not consult with his lawyer very closely or didn't listen to him <laughs> before he uh, went on national TV and uh, blew the whistle on what the feds were doing. Um, but, um, Stephen, I want to thank you uh, for joining us. Uh, really fascinating insight. And um, we'll uh, likely want to get back to you as this uh, as the case uh, unfolds. I'd be happy to. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, Thanks a, lot. a lot, Stephen. 